Good evening. Happy Sunday, everyone. Welcome to the Amateur Football Podcast with your host, Tabriz, the best grassroots veteran centre-back you'll ever see in your life. Please like and subscribe. Do all, do all the great stuff. I'm telling you, this thumbnail, I've never got so much engagement over a thumbnail than this one. I've had DMs. I've had WhatsApp messages. And I'm like, you know what? I can't really say anything. You know, who said what? I says, you know what? I can't say nothing because, again, that's what the platform is about. It's a, you know, it's about people's opinions. And I always welcome people on to talk about um, their own truths. And I'm just here just to create a platform for that particular subject. So, again, my name is Tabriz. Big shout out to Big T in the building. How you doing, sir? I'm all good, man. How you doing, man? I'm well, I'm well, I'm well. I just want to quickly shout out Bromley FC um, that literally kind of, um, we kind of managed, managed to get a friendly yesterday. Wasn't the result that uh, Catford wanted, but I want to shout out Rob, who's a goalkeeper. Absolutely huge. He's about six foot nine or something. But again, yeah. such um, such a gentleman and also um, rich as well, quality player. And um, I literally wish... Bromley vets well um, this season. How did um, Cool You do? Did, did um, you guys play yesterday? No, we were supposed to have a um, friendly against Sagas, but it was cancelled. I'm not sure to the exact reasons why, but it was cancelled. So we've had a we've had a relatively quiet pre-season. We've been training. I haven't been training because I'm injured, but um, we've been training. We've been training. Okay. So um, let me just kind of address the elephant in the room. I mean, Seagas are in the league that you're in now, Division 2? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, apparently, apparently so. <laughs> um, but um, but apparently, you know, you guys were promoted to Division One. So, um, Big T, I'd kind of love you for you to to actually talk about uh, what you and the uh, and the guys at Kawuya have actually been through. Um, yeah, it's been a bit of a strange one. Uh, <coughs> coming to the close of last season, it was announced. In fact, it was announced. Was it on your show? I think it was your show. I'm not sure what show it was, but Nano was on a show and announced there'll be three teams going up, which was quickly backtracked. And uh, he said, he said three teams may go up, which was the disclaimer, but that's not what was said. Um, and then we got um, communication from the league that three teams were going up. So there was another place to play for between us, yourselves, uh, Seagas, um and it formulated out, as I said on your show before, I wasn't kind of happy with the way it formulated out because um, Hollington had their issues and, and um, they had a problem that, that made them not be able to play the fixture. And we got the points for it, which was we wanted to play the game. Hollington wanted to play the game, but they couldn't. We got the points for it. I wasn't happy with it, but it meant we got promoted. And that's what was communicated to us via messages is that we've gone up to Division One. Um Fast forward, uh, probably about a week and a half ago, I think we've looked at the the website. I think it's called the full, FA Full Time website, and we've seen that we are being we've been placed in Division Two. So there's no communication of this, no message, no one said anything. Um, so we've gone to the league, not me personally, but the management. We've gone to the league and asked what's going on, and um, we've been told that um, we was told we there may be three places um, going up. But um, that's not the case, and we're staying in Division Two, which is it's a bit of a I don't know I don't know I feel bad about it because 
as I said to you before, I thought, I thought it was a bad thing that we got promoted already. I think we needed another year to kind of gel together and become the, the team that we can be. But we got promoted, so we had to deal with it as it came. And now it's just been being changed without any communication, anything, any any way that a professional body or professional structure should operate. There's been no kind of dialogue to say this is what's going on. And we've just found out via looking at the website. So um been talking back and forth, and the gist of it is we're not we're, we are in division two, we're gonna be in division two. Um I think it's it's quite a slap in the face. And I don't think it's quite a slap in the face to us. I think it's quite a slap in the face to all the teams that were vying for that third place last year. I think um, it takes away the integrity of the league. Um, I don't know how we are supposed to take a league structure seriously or rules and regulations seriously when things are just being changed as they go along. It seems like people are just making things up to suit their own agenda, whatever that is. So um, that's just where we are right now. And I'm not happy about it, even though I weren't happy with the promotion. I'm not happy about the way we've been treated at all. It seems there's there's some form of agenda against us. You know, when we play teams, everybody's like, oh, yeah, um, yeah, you've you made a team for your friend that's died. Yeah, we support you. And then when they find out we can actually play or we actually beat them, everyone's view changes. So I don't know what's going on. But the league... The league needs to be reformed. All the leagues need to be reformed. There's there's been too much controversy and too much too much nonsense going on over the last season. There was one word that you said a, a couple of times, agenda. Yeah. yeah. Do you actually do you actually think that the league actually has a, an agenda against FC Coolia? I do. I do. Now I do. And if you ask me that middle of the season. I wouldn't have said so. I just would have thought things were happening. There's things that we could have tightened up on. There's things that other people could tighten up on. But now I think there's something else going on because there was a whole load of nonsense with us last year, you know. Teams being kicked out of cup games and then being reinstated. And then we go in, we're going out to these teams and things like that. And it's just been a whole load of nonsense for us. I know there's other teams that have suffered from this as well. But I can't speak for other teams. I can only see what I can, I can speak for what I see. So I think there's something going on. And as I said, I, I feel like everyone comes with the the friendly, the friendly kind of, oh yeah, we, we like what your team's about and what you've built it for. And then when they realise that we can actually play ball and we, we're actually not just here to make up the numbers, there's a change in opinion. So I don't know what's going on. Um, and again, you know, I I can have to sit on the fence here. Um, a lot of people could actually say, okay, well. If you don't like how the league structure is, why don't you move to another league? If I was running the club, I probably would have done that. If I was running the club, I would have folded it and just told them to shove it. But um, I'm, I'm not. I'm, people think I feel like people feel because I'm like one of the senior players, and and Derek, who we made the team for, was one of my um, closest friends. That I, I have a say, and I'm, I'm part of the management. I'm not a part of the management. I'm, I'm the vice captain. But I'm not part of the management. I don't make any suggestions into starting lineups or how the teams run. I just what you see on the pitch is what you get with me. That's just me. So um, yeah, I agree with you. I fully agree with you. We should do that if it was up to me. But I don't run the team. So, and I'd say the domino effect again coming. Well, I don't know coming down to Division Two. How how has that affected? 
the the players' morale and how has it affected you as well personally? Um, it's kind of disrupted the preparation. You know, we've been preparing to obviously, you know, disrespect to the teams in Division Two, but we've been preparing to step up and play kind of like the proper cup finals every week, as opposed to last season where our cup finals will be against Hollington, against Catford, against Wallingham and Seagas, four, four, probably four teams. No disrespect to any other teams. But we was looking forward and preparing to play cup finals every single week because that's how that's how the, the gap is in, in the leagues. When you look up there, you see the competition is much tighter than it is in Division 2. The teams may be a bit more physical in Division 1 than in Division 2. But um, I think it's a bit disheartening. You know, It, it disrupts all of our pre-season, although there's been things that's been disrupting it anyway. It disrupts our pre-season and our prep. And I don't know, it just kind of throws us off throws us off a little bit. For, for myself personally, it's thrown me off a bit, a bit where I'm thinking to myself, do I really want to do another year of Division 2? You know, I, I've, I'm not saying that we are one, probably one of the best teams in the league, but we're one of three teams that will be up there with yourselves and Segas. And I'm thinking to myself, do I really want to do all of that again? We've just gone through all of that to be given a reward and then just have it pulled right from under our feet. So... I'm, I'm still sitting on the fence as to what I'm going to do, but I'm, I'm going to get myself fit anyway, to be honest with you. So um, as we stand right now, there's been no communication with the league and FC Kouya in terms of why you guys have, you, you guys are now in Division 2. There's been no yeah, communication. So there's been a small communication. We've asked them what's going on. They've said um, they're sorting it. That's literally the, the answer we got. They're going to sort it. Um, there was a, a meeting scheduled for last week, which got cancelled the day before. And now they've rescheduled it to the first week after the season starts, which is very coincidental, which is another reason why I think I say I feel there's an agenda because there's things to sort out. How can you rearrange the meeting for a week after the league starts? It doesn't make any sense. So um, that's the small communication we've had. They've said they're going to sort it out and we haven't heard anything back from them. Do you think um, there's certain people... On you know um, on the committee that that should be called out and and um, do you think they are kind of hiding behind that iron curtain because the league is so big within South London? Yeah, I do. I feel there's a lot of personnel that um, should be called out. You know, probably a few months ago, I probably wouldn't name them, but um, I'm I'm a bit more at peace with everything right now, so. Um, I'll take it easy. But I feel like there's um, a lot of people in the league, involved in the leagues, in matches, and there's a lot of conflicts of interests. And I don't see how a league can work with um, people. And this is not an indirect shot. It's, it's probably an example. You probably figure out what I'm, what I'm um, getting at. But I think it's a bit of a conflict of interest to have someone that is on the committee or deals with referees, that is a goalkeeper for a team, and that is a manager for a team in the same league. It's, it's a major conflict of interest. If that was in if that was in a court of law, and that was a solicitor, they'd say you can't represent this person because of your conflict of interest. So that's just one example. Though I'm not saying that that affects anything that goes on with the league. That's just an example I'm using. So I feel like there's a lot of people that need to be called out. The, the committee members. I don't even know if they know anything about football. I know it's veteran level, but I don't know if if any of them actually know anything about football other than sitting down at Crofton Albion and watching from, from the bar because the leagues have been run like a joke. They've been run like a joke. 
we pay all these money, these ledgers, these fees to enter these cups and we get to a cup final and we're told to bring our own footballs. Like, that doesn't make any sense to me at all. The bare minimum is not being done. Would would you like to see a lot more transparency regarding the finances? 110%. I want to see, I think, um, was it John Farrell last year, last season, he said he wants to know where the fines are going. Where's, where's the fines going? Where's the fees going that we're playing to enter these cups? Like, if we, we are expected to bring up at least our own footballs to a cup, why are we paying fees? Where are they going? And I think that's a lot of that's a lot of what we want to see. If things happen, things happen out of our control. We can't say anything about that. But be transparent with it. Provide some clarity to these teams because I think it's the lack of clarity that's causing the issues because nobody knows what's going on. So um, as we speak right now, you are uh, FC Curiara Division Two team. So we can you know speak openly about Division One. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where 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 like, do you think? FC Kuria would have finished if, if like you guys start start the season or end of the season in Division One. In Division One, yeah. uh, I think <clears throat> we would have been top six. I think we would have finished in the top six. I'm gonna say, I think we would have finished around six, six or fifth in that division. You know, I'm not, I'm not gonna go up you know, my tail up in the air and say we'd win it. Because the division, the, the, the competition is much harder. And the teams out there are much better. But I think everyone has played us this year, no matter whatever they think about us, they can admit that we're not a team to be slept on. You know, and we are a team. We're we're a great team when we're ready. We have our on off days and we have our on days. But I think if we play how we can play for a whole season in Division One in our first season, we could be in the mix, top six easily. And then push on from there. And in your opinion, who's the favourite to win Division One? Uh, I think it's always going to be Charcoal. You know, I think Charcoal. Charcoal—they're serial winners. There's no doubt about that. Um, the test is whether they can deal with Hollington because Hollington are also serial winners. But the the difference is Hollington are coming up from down, and Charcoal not Charcoal are just at the same level. So. I think that's that's probably the top two in that league. See who's going to win that that league there. But obviously, there's there's competition. Independent, I know no walkovers. Santos are no walkovers at all. Santos, we know a lot of them. It's a lot of family vibes there because we all grew up together. So um, not writing any of them off. But for me personally, I think it's Charcoal and Hollington. I think Hollington showed us exactly what they could do last year. Would you like a merger between Div One and Div Two? I think it would make sense. It would make sense with all the teams that are dropping out or giving games away. I think it would make sense to merge the two teams and then um, merge the two um, leagues or even push some teams up into League One and then just push some down into um, Division Two, get rid of a division and just create a division down there as well. And the last time that we spoke, you, you could have told me very sheepishly that, <laughs> that, you, had, that you had retired. Yeah, um, yeah, um, I'm guessing with you know this kind of conversation and and with your hunger and desire that that's not the case. Yeah, no, I had a I had a talk with the gaffer about my uh, my contract options. And, <laughs> <laughs> you know, he offered he offered me a couple more Lucas aids in the, in the goal bonus. So. <laughs> yeah, but no, I said I said I've got one more year in me. If I if I can make it, I've got one more year in me. You know, um, with me, I, 
I can't, I know it can sound a bit strange to people, but the, the person that we do this team for, Derek, um, he's very close to me and he's passed away now, but I do visit his grave a lot, a lot of the time and I have a lot of conversations with him. And uh, that doesn't make me crazy, <laughs> but um, I have a lot of conversations with him. And one thing that I feel he's showing me or directing me towards is saying that he needs, he needs one more from me. He just needs one more from me. And then that's it. Call it a day. So um, I spoke with I spoke with Razor and uh, Mo, and I said to them, "Yeah, Derek, Derek's telling me that he needs one more from me. So I'm going to give you one more, but we're going to have to manage it because <clears throat> my body's not my body's not the same. But we're going to have to manage it, you know. Um, um, I've got diabetes. I've got a few little niggles here, there. So I'm struggling with a few things, but you know, I'm still here, so I still give what I got, you know." And you've, um, and again, it's kind of very, um, and actually, thank you for like being very kind of honest in terms of um, visiting Derek's grave and yeah. and literally probably having that emotional connection with like Derek. I mean, how how important is like Derek in you know in your life journey? Um, he's just he's one of the fixtures. Even if he was if he was still here, he'd be a main fixture in my life. You know, he was the first person I met when I got to secondary school. When I walked through the door, he was the first person that I spoke to. And we've been friends ever since. Um, he's very important to me. I know if if people pay attention to me before a game, they'll see um, I've got a little ritual where I actually talk up to the sky. That's me having my little conversation with him before the game. And I, I do everything like he's watching, you know. I do everything like he's watching. And he was he was a footballer. He played for two in the Mitchum. He was doing a scholarship in Texas when he when he passed away. He was doing a scholarship in Texas to play out there. So um, I feel it's my duty to kind of carry on his dream at whatever level I can, and um, that's that's my driving force. That's what that's my motivation. That's always been my motivation. Whether I've played in the Ram and Division in County League, whether I've got paid to do this, Derek has always been my motivation to to play football and carry on. And um. Do you think the perception of mental health has actually changed within the black community now from when you was younger? A hundred percent. Um I'm I'm glad it's shifted because I feel like culturally we are designed to not ask for help. Um by our parents when we're younger, we're we're told not to not to tell anyone our business and things like that. So that's how we're molded from when we're young. But as we get older, we see that. There's no shame in asking for help, you know. There's no, you don't lose any pride in asking for assistance or, or having a problem. It's okay to not be okay. And a lot of people, especially black men now, are speaking and finding people that they confide in, seeking help from counselling, you know. And my, I myself, I'm a mentor. I'm a, I'm a child mentor, student mentor. So um, <clears throat> the easiest advice I can give to people is that Google completely free. You literally just type into Google what you need and it will find it. So if you need help, if you need counselling, go on Google, look for the closest one to you and get that help because there's a lot of people that are not here in my life through probably things they were going through and they didn't speak to people about it. But equally, there's a lot of people that are still here because they got the help that they needed. So um, I'm glad there's a shift in the, in the um, in the tide culturally and we're seeking more help. And finding more things to keep us occupied, like vets football. A lot of people play vets football to have escapism, find escapism. I myself do that myself. 
I've had my stresses in my life, things like family issues with my, my kids and, and health. And football's a uh, form of escapism for me. And like for me personally, that's the reason why I don't want you to give up. Yeah. Because, you know, um, and again, like we've all banned it aside, it's like, like we need people like you playing and representing football. And I and I like just fear sometimes when we've had football in our lives from you know from the day that we can walk, mm. and then literally when it's and actually when like we think it's time to actually give up, what's gonna be um what's like gonna be like the practice that's gonna fill up that hole on a Saturday yeah. to kind of give us that that pleasure that we need. Yeah, yeah, it's very difficult. I've stopped before for about two years and it was just torture. And I was young. So I imagine now it will be a bit bit more, bit worse because I've been doing it for so long. I've, I played from when I was nine till I was about 11 and I stopped and I got back into it and I started playing semi-pro when I was 24. And I've been playing ever since. Playing ever since. Took a year out because of my knee injury and came straight back and joined the Vets. So, um, yeah, I do things outside of football. Like obviously, I gym. And um, I write a lot and I read a lot. So there's a lot of things to to kind of fill that void, but there's nothing that will ever fill that void of football running out on the pitch and flying into a tackle or, or getting barged off the ball by to breathe. Well, let's see, you know what? I just have to say that, you know, big, you know, big T gave me like the Heinzman manoeuvre. He kind of pushed his hand right in my chest and I, and I went, 10 yards that way, so I thought, you know, that can't happen. So, you know, he, so he bodied me first, you know, just to let everyone know, just to let everyone know. But, um, but not, I mean, again, um, so um, if you can, don't like mind me asking, what is it that you write about? Me, I do free writing. <clears throat> I do a lot of free writing. So I will literally just open my MacBook or get a paper and just write whatever's on my chest, literally. Um, I've written some some uh, little pieces as well about black men. I've written pieces about uh, Marcus Rashford when he was when he missed the penalty and he was abused. But um, I generally just free write things that just flow off the chest. I just make make sure I get it down on paper. And um, what like other strategies or or like you know practices do you do to maintain your mental well being throughout your journey of life? Uh, I, I meditate, I meditate in the morning. I try to meditate at night, but work life has got me really tired lately. So, but um, I do meditate quite heavy. Um, I do a lot of centering. I center myself, you know, sometimes it's just good to shut down, turn, take down the, the social, turn off the telly, sit down, find your voice, whatever it may be. And I'd load my shisha pipe and just sit here in the silence and listen to nature sometimes, you know, um, these are all relatively new. I've, I've recently, three years ago, moved out to Kent. And um, the environment is a bit quieter, a lot quieter than where I used to live in Deptford. So um, I'm able to do these things and I find I find kind of solace in them. Uh, I'm, a lot, I'm a lot more complicated than people think. I'm not the man I'm expected to be. <laughs> you know, people will get in my car, I might be giving someone a lift. And when I turn on the engine and the radio comes on, there's, there's an audio book of Shakespeare playing. And they'll be so confused. And I'll be like, this is what I do. This is the type of stuff that I do. I'm not all Rick Ross and, and little baby driving to football and things like that. You know, I do different things. And um, 
do you think that that you've you've got a fight that perception of literally how you how, literally how you look to like people that don't know you because again just because you listen to Shakespeare doesn't like make yeah. you any like different from like anyone else yeah I, I do I, I feel like I am judged on I'm judged on two things I'm judged on a previous version of me you know um everyone has different different versions of them everyone lived a past life and they've done things in life they haven't been proud of and I feel like I'm judged a lot of the time on that by people that know me. But aside from that, I feel like people look at me and think, oh, he's big guy, bald, tattoos, you know, maybe. He's, and it's just like, no, I'm not, I'm not that. I know even people have asked me if, if I actually work, what do I do? <laughs> you know? So I'm like, why wouldn't I work? They might, would you think I'm a drug dealer or a rapper or something just because of the way I look? So, um, yeah, I feel like I do have that fight back perception of just like on face value, people might see a different person than what I actually am. And um, if you don't mind me asking, what's the biggest regret um, in your life so far? And literally, how like did you get over that emotion of of regret? Well, my biggest regret, um, I have a few. The biggest one that will probably make sense to you is something that I've I've recently been able to share with people, and I, I wasn't able to share it before because it kind of broke me down. Um, so the night, so Derek Koya the night he passed away or the, the day before, should I say, he um, messaged me on, but this is how old we are. He messaged me on MSN messenger and um, he wrote something. It was really cryptic. And he said, um, no matter what happens, we'll be boys forever. I love you. And it was because he was in America. The time difference was, was, I think it was very late. So I looked at the laptop and I'm like, boy, why are you messaging me at this time, man? What are you doing? And I literally just closed it, bang, went to sleep. And um, I think a few hours later, I, I was the first person in England to get the call that he'd passed away because they didn't have his, um, his house number. So they called me at the time to get the, the, the number. And um, I think not responding to that message is probably one of my biggest regrets in life because I think everyone can see how much he means and how much I cared for him. But um, I felt like he never, he never got to know that because I never replied to him that night. So um, that's probably my biggest regret today, not not replying to that message. And uh, getting that phone call that Derek had passed away, mm. uh, how, how did that, I know it's a stupid question, but how, how did... How, how did like the first couple of minutes or couple of hours make make you feel? Um, no, it's not a stupid question. It's a, it's a great question because um, I'm still doing therapy for that, for his passing and other things. Um, so reliving is part of the tactics that we do, the coping mechanisms that we do. Um, and this is something I haven't actually thought about, but I think... The first minute, I thought it was that. I thought it was a joke at first because the person that phoned me was an actual joker, and I thought it was a joke. And um, when I realised uh, it was just, I, I, I couldn't explain it. It's like, um, I don't know, like I know you've got children when you have that first child, and someone says, "I can't explain it." The feeling, I know the feeling, but I can't explain it. That's exactly what it was. I couldn't explain the feeling. And I had to call my other friend and then we had to go and sit with his mom at the same time. And I think 
that was probably my first experience of death, my first closest experience of death. So it was all new to me. And I, I, I definitely, I wasn't regulating my emotions, but I wasn't knowing what to feel at the same time as well. But it was very surreal. I was in bits. I was, I remember I literally screamed out in my house. I was young. We was only 21. And I screamed out and my mum came and she sat with me and she held me. And then I had to pull myself together because I had to go and sit with his mum. And this was the early hours in the morning. So, um, yeah, it was it was a very surreal moment. It was something that I didn't think I'd have to experience at, at such a young age, you know, um, losing a friend, you know, one of my closest, probably my closest friend at the time. Um, yeah, so that's, that's I, I really didn't have a word for the feeling. But I know that it was it was definitely a feeling of a surreal moment. Did that situation question your life and literally where like your life could like possibly um, go if you know if like certain things were happening at that present moment for you? Um, yeah, <clears throat> I questioned my life a lot. I was actually there was a lot of um, kind of after effects of that because he passed away in his sleep and we used to train well we used to not train but we used to do everything together so if he'd go out I'd go out if he'd go for a jog I'd go for a jog <clears throat> and whatever he'd eat I'd eat as well so I'd be lying there thinking is it something that we both did is this going to happen to me next I'd just be questioning it all the time and um my my therapist knows this as well, but it's something I'll share with you because not a lot of people know this. I didn't sleep more. He died in 2007. I didn't sleep more than six hours until 2013 because I was scared to go to sleep. I think not physically scared, but psychologically I was scared to go to sleep. And um, I needed therapy for that because I thought maybe if I go to sleep, same thing's going to happen to me. Um, which led to a, a, a whole host of other things. Um, definitely was out of my character. I was definitely in depression. Um, I didn't understand at the time what depression was. But looking back now, I can see that I had gone into a deep depression. And like you said, now we're talking about these things. But back then I was 21. I was on the street. I was talking to this girl, that girl. And I wasn't seeking help. I was just, I think it's called compartmentalizing or something mm -hmm. like that. I was doing all of that just going out, living my life and not knowing that I needed to get these things off my chest because it was it was breaking me down inside, you know? Do you think it's, you know, our kind of cultural um, and, like, traditions um, that, like, we can't talk to members of families, like, mum and dad, you know, because there's a, <laughs> there's a kind of stereotype of, of you know, black men especially you know like the size of you and the size of me like we yeah actually we are like meant to hold everything down like a stigma yeah mm. um i do feel like i think it was different for me because i had my mum until i was about six so I, my mum was always there and i could always talk to my mum about everything but definitely around the family there was a sense of you know stand up strong man up that that phrase was thrown around a lot man up and it's it's like when you get to this age now and it's, you think to yourself, what does that actually mean, man up, you know? Because it doesn't mean that you're not a man if you sit there and cry. It doesn't mean you're a man, you're not a man if you go and ask for help, you know? So, yeah, I think um, we. I definitely had to, because I've been, I've looked like this since I was 19. <laughs> so 
everyone always thought that I'm a big strong man. I don't feel emotions. I don't that. And I, I'm very in touch with my emotions. I feel a lot of emotions. I'm a very emotional person. I'm very in touch with my emotions. I'm I'm very caring and things like that. So um yeah, I've had to deal with that a lot. But as I said, I'm glad the tides have shifted now and a lot more people are speaking up about things they need assistance with. Um again, please please correct me if, if I'm wrong. Um you spoke about your mum in past tense. Oh no, she's still here. Okay, okay, all right, okay, yeah. okay, okay, all right, okay. There's um, another, but she there's another there's another form of trauma there. I think uh, 2022 she just uh, she collapsed. Um, we was at a surprise birthday party and she collapsed. She had a cardiac arrest, and I myself had to start CPR. Oh my gosh! With a few with a few family members, and the best the best thing out of the bad situation is she collapsed in a room full of midwives. So they all know CPR. They all know everything. So they put her in a recovery position. Everything. Um, she had to be defibrillated and um, she was shocked once and she came straight back. Um, but she had to have a heart surgery, heart bypass, and took her a while to recover, but she's back on her feet now, working, training, walking, doing everything. She's working in a school now. So that was another thing that I was dealing with. And that's one another thing that I used Vets Football to kind of get over because um, I was just entering Vets Football when this happened. So, yeah, there's this another trauma in, in, in the storybook of Tyrus. Mm. And, um, again, I, I kind of look on your, your kind of socials and, mm. and um, we, we, we kind of joked uh, off, off air that, you know, every time I see you, you're like, I, you know, you are either dressed, you know, to the nines, you're either... Uh, like parasailing or you're doing this but 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 also as well you are very close with your family you are very close you know yeah. with your kids and mm. and uh, how how actually important is it you know with your family unit i mean I, i'd actually love to kind of get your insight um i think it's i think it's the most important thing in the world to be honest with you i think it is your family having good people around you is important but having your family there is the most important thing because I've always been like, I'm a believer of once everybody turns their back on you, it's only going to be family that's left, you know? So, um, and I've lost a lot of people. I've lost a few family members as well. And I feel like I didn't spend enough time that I should have with them. So like Derek, for instance, me and Derek have only got two pictures together. So now people will say, oh, you're addicted to Instagram. You're always taking pictures. And I'm like, yeah, I want to take pictures because I want to document everything, you know, because we're not going to be here forever, you know. And I want to make sure that I'm, I'm with this person. I spend my time with that person and whatever. But for me, family is the most important thing. They they are the centering, the grounding that you need in this in this life. And it's not always a bed of roses. You can't, some, some family members, you can't pick your family. Some of them you can't pick. You know, I've had a few family members and I've looked at them and I thought to myself, I just love to bust your head, man. But, <laughs> you know, we can't pick our family, but they're still our family at the end of the day. And I, I think it's the most important thing to surround yourself with them as much as possible because they're the ones that's always going to be there for you. Always. What What's that been your, well, one of your biggest highlights in, um, in your football career and also 
in your journey of life? Um, football career, I think I made a I made a promise to my my mum's mother because we used to sit down. We always used to sit down and watch the Manchester derby for some weird reason. She never watched football, but she just watched the Manchester derby, and she always used to we sit there and she'd be like, "Yeah, Manchester beat up Manchester and all of that." So I said to her one day, um, "I'll give you my word. I'm going to get my name on Sky Sports for you. That's that's the one promise I'm going to make." And um, I wasn't able to do it before she passed away, but I did it. Um, just on when I used to play the Ram and Prem, um, I got my name on the Vidi printer. You know when they used to do the scores at the bottom. Yeah. So um, for me, because I made that promise to her, that was my biggest achievement in football. And um, I'm glad I was able to fulfill that for her. I think in life, my biggest achievements are my, my children. Uh, my son, my daughter, uh, I have a bit of difficulty seeing her, so I don't really see her that much. But um, she's she changed me a lot when I had her. She changed my whole perspective on everything. You know, and, and I had my son first. He's now 17. He's, he's you wouldn't believe it. He's bigger than me. He's, wow. he's, he's wider than me. Don't lie. <laughs> he's wider than me. Wow. <laughs> he's 6'1". I'm only 5'11". So, yeah. But, um, and he's a, he's a stand-up guy, man. He's, his mum has done so well with him. He's, he's got so much manners. He's such a nice young boy. My daughter changed my life. I think when I had my daughter in that kind of, in that moment, I was a bit wild. I was a bit carefree. Um, I wasn't willing to compromise anything. And I was just living my life. And she came along and I just saw everything differently. I had a different level of respect for people. Or I gained, I didn't get it straight away. I gained a different level of respect for people. Um, and I saw things differently because I realised that these little people are watching. They're part of me and they're watching so things that I'm doing, I have to clean up my act, I have to do things properly, buy the book. As much as I can, nobody's perfect. But I wanted to try and make the change because I had these little people watching me. Um, so that that was, I think that was that is the biggest achievement in my life for my kids, children, should I say. And um, if I could be kind of very, very detailed here, um, yeah. what was it that you had to change when your daughter was born, like I would like love to get you know um, life examples. And so, um, for one, how I treated women. Um, I think I can't use the word on the on the broadcast that I was, but I was a I was a I was a misogynist. I was quite bad with women. I used to treat I used to use them for what I wanted to use them for, and and just carry on with my day, and not take into consideration their feelings or how I'm hurting them. And then I had to realize that one day my daughter's going to grow up and she's going to meet a man. And if he treats her even half the way I've been treating women, I'm going to kill him. So I had to make that change. That was one, one change. Um, she changed my work ethic. I used, I've, I've worked every day since I was 15, but I've never been driven by work I've always been driven by money when I was younger and when she came along I kind of changed my moral compass and I realized that what my reward for working is what they can see is what they will see 
So they will see daddy working. It doesn't matter if he's got money or whatever. They'll see him working for something. So they will have that in, in their kind of setup to know that we've got to go out and work for stuff. Stuff's not going to drop on my lap. We've got to work for it. So that was another thing that kind of changed when she came along. I think, I feel like she said she saved my life. I feel like she did. Because I was living very incorrectly, very, very incorrectly. And um, I'm not perfect. I'm still not perfect. I don't think anybody will ever be. But I've definitely made changes that, and people can see that people always point it out to me, which is is quite, I don't need approval from anybody, but it's, it's quite refreshing to see that people can see the changes that I've made other than myself. And what type of education do you think men of our generation, especially mm-hmm. black men, um, need to still learn about? I feel like we just need to, I need to, I feel like we just need to be taught that we are, we come, one thing I've been big on, and I know it, it sounds a bit like I'm going a bit of, on a bit of a tangent, but it's not, I'm not big on these slavery films. I feel like every film that we see that's got black people in it, it's got slaves and, and drug dealers and things like that. And I feel like as black men, we need to be taught that we're, we come from royalty. We're kings. We are kings of this, you know. We are taught to be the breadwinners. We're taught to be the guys that stand up, stand up straight and hold things together. And we need to realise that we're capable of doing this. But I feel like we also need to know that because we are expected to do all of this, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't be in touch with our feelings, you know. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't hurt or we shouldn't feel or we shouldn't cry sometimes. I feel like we, we need to be taught that a lot because there's still a lot of work to do. There's a lot of men out there that uh, will have a disagreement with someone and none of them are backing down or none of them are willing to converse or talk and a simple conversation could could sort the issue. So we need to we need to kind of learn a bit of humility, a bit of humanity between us. You know, I'm not saying there isn't instances where it's the only option. Sometimes you want to talk, you want to talk and people ain't listening and you just lose it. There's always a line. Everyone has a line. But before you get to that, it's, it's important for us to kind of try other methods rather than just throw our fists. So I'd like to see black men being empowered more to, to understand their feelings. And um, what like, um, advice could you kind of give to the younger generation um, regarding um, protecting their mental health, stroke, well, well-being? And, and um, how can people actually contact you individually to actually learn more? Um, well, you can contact me on Instagram. Uh, that's the only social I use. And that is at B-I-G big underscore tips, T-I-B-B-Z. Um, for my young people, when I do speak to them in a one-to-one or a group situation, I say to them, plain and simply, find the help, seek the help that you need. If you feel something is off, speak to someone about it. For I use, I work in a boys' school, but I encourage the boys in the school that have their fathers in their life to talk to their fathers because they've done everything that you are doing or planning on doing before. So they've made the mistakes, so you don't have to. So speak to them about it. Speak to them and let them know what your issues are and whatever. But if if it's young people that really genuinely need help, I give them the Google advice. Google is completely free. Just literally type, say what you want to do and type it out. I need help. 
I'm going through a mental uh, episode breakdown. Sorry, there's a moth. A mental episode or breakdown or whatever. Type that in word for word and whatever you need will come up. And you click on the first one you see and get the help that you need. And, uh, you know, well, Tyrus, man, honestly, thank you so much for sharing. And probably just reverting back to football, my last question is, uh, where do you think who you're going to finish in Division 2? Top two. Top two. But we'll go for top three because they might free up. Well, you know, um, I'm actually sure I can I can probably get a few members of the committee onto onto the show to to address a few um, issues that yourself and probably other other teams have experienced. Yeah, I hope they're truthful, though. I hope they're very truthful because um, their the integrity is at stake. Wow. You've heard it first. You've heard it first. Big T, honestly, thank you so much for like coming on and and um, not like you know only being being um, honest regarding the career situation, but kind of also talking talking about your your like life and story. Thank you, thank you so much. No problem. No worries. Thank you very much for having me. Um, people, again, um, if you can have liked what you've heard, uh, please please go and find. Tyrus on Instagram. I think it's it, is it big underscore tips? Yeah, big underscore tips. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh and again, if you could have not sure about the profile, he's always dressed in a suit, skydiving, <laughs> jet skiing, weightlifting. You know, <laughs> that is a guy that you have to look for. So um again, big, big, big like shout out to to like um big T. And um, and again, I um, it's um, going to be an absolute battle for um, um, for the league in like Division Two, which we will talk about um, in in the next stream. Thank you so much. Please like, subscribe, and we'll see you next week Sunday.